I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Vivian Howard is a new friend of mine, and we share a love for North Carolina and the greater South. Getting to know her over the past year and watching her brand evolve has been such a privilege. I hope you'll love getting to know her in this episode, too. Vivian Howard, welcome to Charlotte. Thank you. And welcome to Capitol. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I've got some clothes to try on. <laughs> <laughs> we met sitting next to each other at a Garden and Gun event in Charleston. And I liked you from the first minute I met you. You're exactly who you portend to be. Is that the word? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I liked you too. (laughs) Tell me where you're from. I'm from uh, Deep Run, North Carolina, which is in eastern North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Which is really far away from here. I mean, I think people don't realize how, also, well, how big North Carolina is. And diverse. Wide? Are we wide? Wide. We're wide. (laughs) We are. (laughs) I want to start with your style memories in the kitchen. What did your mom wear growing up when she cooked? Oh, Lord. A house coat? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) With little snaps on it and very delicate flowers. And it may or may not have been worn at the elbows. You know how with that type of garment, you either really like it and wear it all the time or it's the one that's at the back of your drawer. (laughs) She wore this all the time. Did it go on top of clothes or it was like a, it was sort of like a snap on apron, but a full dress? It went on top of clothes. I'm pretty sure. I can't imagine her being naked underneath. (laughs) Uh. Yeah. No, I can't see that either, but a slip for sure. Maybe. (laughs) Yes. And always an apron. Yeah. Like even on top of the house coat. uh, But like when we would get home from church on Sunday and she would be putting, you know, lunch out, she always put on an apron. And it's one of her biggest grievances with me. That you don't wear aprons? That I... Or yours are industrial? I don't really wear them. And I should. (laughs) (laughs) I just went in for lunch and I wore one because I I just didn't want to mess up. Because you don't... You take care of your clothes. (laughs) 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 Tell me... I want to hear a little bit about Scarlett. Where is she from? Scarlett is from... Near Mount Olive, North Uh Carolina, and she is the oldest of three children, and she is, I think, like the epitome of a rural Southern woman, and... She's very glamorous. You think so? (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) I really, I think everybody thinks so, so really. Yeah, they do. They say your mom is so... My mom is very put together, Mm. and she always has, you know, her accessories, and her hair is tight. And her, and her nails matched her bag. Actually, she hides her hands because she has very uh, deformed hands from having R- rheumatoid arthritis R- yeah. for, since she was 17. But everything else mm. is, is adorned. And where did she shop growing up? Where did y'all shop? We lived out in the county. Yeah. And so we would, on Saturdays, get dressed up and go to town. Yeah. And town was Kinston. Right. <laughs> and we shopped at H Stadiums, uh-huh. which is right next to Chef and the Farmer. It's still there. Oh, it is? Really? Uh, yeah. It's it's a walk 
back in time. Yeah. <laughs> and the Papa Gala. Oh, yeah. And also Brody's uh-huh. department store. Is Enchanting Moments, is that, did I make that up? Is that, that the place where you bought your Deb dress and all? Of the, I think it, I felt like it was in Kinston, but it maybe I It could have been up. in Kinston, but I may have made, the I, Howards would not have gone to Enchanting <laughs> Moments, more than likely. <laughs> <laughs> You're the youngest of three girls or four? Four girls. Do you remember what they wore growing up? Because you're you're quite the baby. I mean, you're a good bit younger than they. Yes. My oldest sister, Lorraine, she was 15 when I was born. Yeah. And she was very tomboyish. Uh-huh. Uh, and she wore, I just remember her wearing her, like her FFA jacket. <laughs> but she was boyish, but also very feminine and pretty. But uh, mm-hmm. I think she was in FFA to be near the boys. Right. I'm, I'm wondering if my daughter's in Boy Scouts for the boys, actually. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and Curry, the sister just younger than Lorraine, she was very mousy and nerdy uh-huh. and had very thick glasses. Uh-huh. And it's odd because now she's by far the most stylish oh, how funny. of all, all the girls. And then Jonna, she's nine years older than I am, and we shared a bedroom when uh-huh. I was a kid. And she was like prom queen and homecoming queen and junior miss and so she probably did go to enchanting moments she she may have (laughs) and she she wore you know all the 80s gear but her hair is really what I remembered it was very it was huge well you girls all have really pretty hair well she put a lot of stuff in it you know a lot of (laughs) (laughs) curlers and teasing and hairspray that was the age of big hair yes it was and she was the queen of it. And did you admire their style? Did you want to look like them? And Oh, I absolutely. I always yeah. wanted to be Jana. Yeah. Was cooking a thing? I mean, did you realize it was a thing then? No. 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 Other um, than you liked the way Scarlett cooked. Well, my mom didn't really cook that much. I mean, she cooked. She put dinner on the table. Chicken and rice. Yes. <laughs> but it wasn't something that she uh, celebrated. And uh, so I didn't yeah. pay that much attention to her food. Her mm-hmm. mother was a really great cook. But cooking was not something that I was raised to see value in. And really, we were more of a, a Weight Watchers and Diet Center family <laughs> than like, let's celebrate what we're eating family. My mom, too. My mom's mom was a, a home ec major at Cornell. And so my mother... I don't. I think she hates cooking, but every single night, everything still has parsley on the side. Every, it's all different textures and colors, and it, the plate always looks beautiful. It might might not taste great, but it looks very beautiful. Really, but it was not about. I'd say it wasn't about celebrating food. It was just sort of like this is what we have to do. So we've done. The, these are the rules. Yeah. The thing I remember is we got a microwave. Yes. Oh my god, it was such a big deal. Yes. Around the same time, we got a VCR. <laughs> And mom took a class. Was it Betamax or was it VHS? It was VHS. (laughs) Mom took a class. And I remember this because she was always at home at night. Mm -hmm. And for a period of like two months, she was gone several nights a week because she took a class on how to cook dinner in the microwave. No. Yes. Was everybody freaking out that she wasn't there too? Well, it was just like, what what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, you know, we clearly didn't know how to use the microwave. (laughs) She was going to town to learn. You and I both went to boarding school. Did did you want to go? Did you want to leave? Were you ready? Oh, yeah. So my favorite show growing up was um, The Facts of Life. Duh. And I wanted to be Blair. Right. It was Tootie and Natalie <laughs> and Blair and Joe. Joe. I, Joe is a mechanic. Yeah, I didn't want to be Joe. I wanted to be Blair. <laughs> Same. But 
<laughs> and my sister uh, Curry, the nerdy one, uh, she I hope she never listens to this. <laughs> She went to to the same school. She went to Salem, and she was valedictorian and just hugely successful there. And so I wanted to follow in her footsteps. And I went to Salem for two years. Yeah. And then I wanted to follow the footsteps of boys. Right. So I went to <laughs> Virginia. Because Salem's a girls' school. <laughs> yeah. I went to Salem. And then I went to Virginia Episcopal School. How did boarding school change you, and how did it change your perspective? It changed me tremendously. I mean, I before I went to boarding school— I, I went to a public county school, and my all my best friends lived in trailer parks. So going from that <laughs> to, Salem to Salem Academy was just like two completely different worlds. Yeah. And I think having the understanding of both has made me the person that I am and made me very accessible and able to see both sides of things in a lot of ways. But And then the all-girls education, mm-hmm. I think, really shaped my kind of belief or naivete that everything is available to me, you know, right. because at an all-girls school, you know, the valedictorian's a girl, the best athlete's a girl, the most popular person's a girl, and so you don't see those boundaries. Yeah. Um, you, I imagine, appreciated it more, much more now than you did then. Yeah, I mean, I totally didn't get it then. Yeah. It's interesting because in between Salem and VES, I went to Choate for the summer. Really? Yes. Oh. On a, um, it was a summer intense like writing mm-hmm. workshop for the summer. And I remember that as being like, you know, very hard scholastically. Yeah. But I really excelled and I had a great experience there. And I found this letter that the teacher wrote to my parents, basically my report card. But it said, you know, Vivian is fun and willing to give herself up to a story and, you know, just lots of accolades around my self-confidence is really what I saw in it. And she's like, I worry about her vulnerability as she goes to this school with boys. She questioned whether or not I would slide into myself as a result of that. And I absolutely did. Yeah. And it's just interesting to... Did you, had you seen the letter then or did you just find it in your mom's stuff later? I found it as we were getting, when we were doing Deep Run Roots and I was looking for like family photos because, you know, in lots of cookbooks they'll put, and I I couldn't find much of that, but I found lots of old Mm -hmm. papers. How interesting. And then you went to state, North Carolina State, Mm -hmm. and studied journalism Mm -hmm. because you're such a beautiful writer. Uh, thank you. I love your recipes, but I feel like I love your writing equally. They're also a little hard to read in bed, which I want to do because I want to read them, but they're heavy. It's so big, yeah. <laughs> the one I'm working on right now is going to be much smaller. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on my on my stomach in bed. <laughs> and tell me about the transition from North Carolina State to going to New York. What, um, what did you go up there to do? That's a good question. <laughs> I'm sure your parents wanted to know. (laughs) Yeah, what did you go up there to do? Uh, So I, when I was a junior in college, I got an internship at CBS Sunday Morning that summer. And so I moved up to New York. My sister was living near Columbia University because she had married a guy who worked at Columbia. And so for that summer, I rented 
a, a professor's apartment who had gone to the to Russia for the summer. Mm-hmm. And so that really gave me a distorted view of how I would be living right. if I were to move there on my own. Because it was like a 2,000 square foot apartment uh-huh. and, you know, something I could totally live in forever. <laughs> and it was like $1,100 a month. Right. So I had a great experience that summer and was bound and determined to move there when I graduated. So I did. Mm-hmm. And I was really naive and thought I'd be able to get a job in media in mm-hmm. some way but eventually I got a job the headhunter told me I did find you a job using words <laughs> <laughs> and so I I went to work in advertising um, do you know what you wore your first day do you remember oh lord god I have no idea <laughs> I remember what I wore on September 11th is really, really? yeah <laughs> my roommate and I uh shared a room, literally roommate room. <laughs> and we had two twin beds uh with like two feet in between them and on September 11th we had just bought these like little shirts at Club Monaco mm-hmm. and they were um scoop neck tees and they both had a little tie uh-huh. on the side and we were both wearing those that morning walking to the train and I just it's just wow. a memory that I have you still have it uh no <laughs> So how did you transition to restaurants from from media? <laughs> um, well, after September 11th, really, like a lot of people that I knew who lived in the city were questioning what they were doing with their lives professionally. And the whole like thought was like, you know, you can go to work and like, that's it. You never come home. Yeah. So you should at least go in the name of something you care about. And I had moved there, you know, to be a journalist. And I found that I was just going to work mm-hmm. and not pursuing that at all. So I quit that job mm-hmm. and started waiting tables in a cocktail setting. Like I was a cocktail waitress. And then I was like, God, I'm not making enough money to survive. Have you heard of this bar called Hogs and Heifers? Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> So I saw that they were hiring. I'm pretty sure they're always hiring, right. but I didn't know that at the time. But I saw that they were hiring, and I knew that they that those bartenders made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so I, I walked down there one afternoon and walked in, and there were, like, four, like, hot women standing behind the bar. And they yelled at me immediately, like, if you want to work here, you've got to get on the bar and dance. No! <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so I got on the bar and started clogging. <laughs> so that tells you about my transition to New York. <laughs> that is hilarious. By the time I hit the wagon wheel, those ladies were like, Dying. you are hired. That is so funny. Come back at five o'clock. And uh, <laughs> so, I, I growing up, I clogged competitively. Really? And so, it was something that I could pull out wow. of my back pocket. <laughs> and That's I'm, unbelievable. Uh, well, I mean, I wasn't like a, an award winner, well, but... But you knew how to do it. I did know how. That's unbelievable. It's one of the things that really, it's like, makes me cry to see people clog. I can't handle it. What do you I mean? don't know why. I just you think it's like funny? No, no. You cry? Yes. I cannot handle it. I don't know what it is. But Are I you can't. Irish? No, I'm Swedish. I mean, the clogs are Swedish, I guess, but <laughs> they're dancing. I don't know. There's something. Anyway, I love that story. That's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> and I can't take it. Like, have to leave. 
So hmm. don't do that. I won't. On this don't table. worry. You, you won't. You won't recognize it as what you've seen before <laughs> clogging. <laughs> but so on my way home that day, yeah. I was walking and I was. I thought, you know, this is. I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to take the opportunity, and yeah. I walked by this now hiring sign that was on the corner of Perry and Greenwich. And I walked in because I thought, uh, you know, I'm having a great day. It was a restaurant that was going to be called Voyage that had not opened yet. And the concept of it was Southern Food via Africa. Really? Yes. And the owner, like I had been trying to get a job actually waiting tables, like mm. with food for several months. But in New York, at the time at least, it was, you had to have a years of experience right. to get a job like that. Anyway, the owner, I walked in, he um, looked me in the eye, asked me a few questions, not about the service industry, mm-hmm. asked me if I like to travel. And I said, yes. And then he said, you're hired. Wow. And so I decided that I would take that job in lieu of hogs and heifers. <laughs> <laughs> and it really changed the trajectory of my life yeah. for sure. And started as a yeah, I was a server. Server, and how did you transition to the kitchen? Well, because the restaurant hadn't opened, you know, we did a a week long's worth of training, and part of that was like the chef coming out and talking about the food, and he, you know, talked about the food, and I was just incredibly excited by it mm-hmm. because it was stories about the South, it was food from the South that I didn't recognize, it was food primarily of the port cities. Mm-hmm. And, like, the food I grew up eating is very rural, frugal farmer food. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. I know my parents are going to be so (laughs) upset that I'm a server in a restaurant, but this is really exciting to me, and I want to follow it. Hmm. And so I started working in the kitchen for free uh, before my shift on the floor, and I did that for, like, six months. Before that, you hadn't really connected that that food was your thing or that you loved it. And also, was it food or was it the South? I I have this professor at Chapel Hill. There's a wonderful guy who teaches. uh, He's an anthropology professor about the South. And he says that you can't really understand or love the South until you've been away from it. And, you know, that it's hard to know it and love it if you're in it because you don't know the difference or something. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I don't think we see our nuances until we step back from them. But for me, I think it was food. Like, because I had also studied abroad in Buenos Aires when I was in college. And I was hit by a car. I had a lot of, like, swelling. And I gained a bunch of weight because I took steroids for months. And because I just gained a bunch of weight. And I was very depressed. And I dropped out of my program. Mm -hmm. But I stayed there. The only thing I felt like I could do or the only thing I enjoyed was food. Mm -hmm. And specifically the way that their food was so different than our food. And that they identified like Food was a part of the identity of Argentina. So Argentinian, yeah. Yeah. And I just, I loved looking at, like, the cultures that made up Argentina and and how, it's like the first time I looked at food and history and culture and the threads that combine all of them. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened at Voyage. So how long were you at Voyage? And tell me how you got from Voyage to North Carolina. I I worked there for about a year. I met Ben. Ben was a server there. Your husband. Yes, my husband. And then I started working. I got an internship at WD-50. Oh, wow. And then worked at for Jean-Georges. And then Ben and I started this little soup business 
that we ran out of our apartment in mm-hmm. Harlem. And I would send out an email like on Sunday saying, this is, these are the soups I'm making this week. And mm-hmm. um, people would order it. And then on our day off, we would drive around and deliver wow. soup while collecting parking tickets Yes, <laughs> uh, all day. And that kind of like got some traction. One of our customers wanted to write about us uh, for Time Out New York. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm making this soup in my... Yeah. You know, home kitchen and chilling it down in the bathtub. Right. <laughs> so you can't, we're not legit. And so a friend of ours wanted to invest in an actual storefront. And so we came home one Christmas and said, we're doing this. We're going to open a real restaurant there. And my family was like, oh, my God, no, no, no. You can go. You can play. You can, you know, do whatever you want in New York. But we never thought that you would put down actual roots there. So then they offered... They countered, I yeah. would say, with um, the offer to help us open a restaurant anywhere in North Carolina, is what they said. Uh-huh. I swear to God, that's what they said. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then we moved back to North Carolina, and we moved into my dad's little nap shack, and where we ended up living for about five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it became very clear that we could open a restaurant anywhere inside this 10,000-square-foot building they had bought in downtown Kinston. Hmm. So it was not anywhere in North Carolina. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It became more clear. Was it scary to come home? It felt bad to come home. It felt like I had just, I felt like a failure. Yeah. You know, I had always had like big dreams. Yeah. And I, I, you know, as early as I can remember, I wanted to leave Deep Run Mm -hmm. and just coming home, like kind of with my tail between my legs, just didn't feel good. And Ben didn't feel that way. I mean, he was excited. Oh, he was excited. It was new for him. I mean, he's from Chicago, and he was really drawn to my family, who's really always in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think that he, he nor I thought it would be permanent. Yeah. We thought we were actually going to help my sister open this restaurant, and then she was going to take it on. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, a lot of my friends from growing up from boarding school will say, why are you in North Carolina? Like, why? You should be in New York. You should. And I've, and I've never felt like I wanted to be anywhere else. But um, I do hear that chatter a lot and wonder, how, how do you quiet that? Well, I decided that I just couldn't reconcile just running a mediocre restaurant in the middle of nowhere. I right. just, like, I was not going to, it was not okay with me. Yep. And I, like... I used to keep a journal, and I wrote in my journal, I will not let my location determine the quality and reach of my work. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, and, you know, people still to this day are like, why are you, why do you still live there? Are you going to move to Raleigh? Or And I'm like, do you think that I would have had <laughs> half the success that I have understood yeah. anywhere but where I am? Yeah. And, and I'm happy where I am. Yeah, I and am too. I get to go other places as much as I want, more than yeah, I want. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I do like leaving home, but I really, really like coming home. Yes. There's nothing like it. A chef's life shows your evolution over the last five years. Do you have a favorite style moment in the series? Or at least favorite? A, st- a style <laughs> moment on a chef's life? Well, I mean, the thing oh is, my God. Well, it, it, you know, I, one thing I think is really interesting about you is uh, you're very beautiful. And I think you're you're surprised by people thinking that or like recognizing that in you. And people really, they watch that show. I mean, they want to know about food, but they really are watching you. 
Yeah, but I look awful. You in look gorgeous. No. no, you don't. You look like you look gorgeous because you're you. I think that's so rare. You just don't ever see people being real. Yeah, you really. Um, that's one of the things that people always say to me. They're like, I just. Why? How do they let you be that way? <laughs> and I, I'm like, I don't freaking know. But, but after the first season of the show, uh, okay, yeah, fa- favorite style moment. Yeah. First episode, I thought that we were just playing around yeah. and experimenting. Mm-hmm. And it was July 4th weekend, and we went to the Deep Run July 4th parade. It was three blocks. Right. And I was not pregnant. But I was wearing a maternity dress. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a hand-me-down from a friend of mine who had uh, been pregnant. <laughs> and I was lactating. And I had no idea that we were going to be away from home as long as we were. So yeah. you know what happens when right. that happens. Mm-hmm. And so I have this, like, stain on this green dress that is, you know, in a certain spot. <laughs> And we're filming, and I wasn't comfortable with Cynthia, the director, or her partner, Rex, at all. And for some reason thought that they couldn't tell what was happening. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're at this little festival, and I'm like, oh, I need a snow cone. So I get the snow cone. Meanwhile, the camera's on me, you know. I get the snow cone, and I'm like going to eat it. And I acted like I spilled spilled it it. on my boob. And did it work? It did. It, it, it made it look like I, I spilled hilarious. something. And so, you know, that was the first episode of a chef's life. No. Yes. Oh <laughs> yeah. Is it hard? <laughs> That's so funny. Um, do you find it hard to because your your product is your your hospitality and your food, but people really want to see you. I mean, I think, you know, I struggle with a lot of guilt around being away from home and just Mm -hmm. working a whole lot in general. The other thing I feel a lot of guilt around is people coming to Kinston, making like essentially a pilgrimage from all over and just like holding their breath that I'm going to walk in there Mm -hmm. or that I'm going to serve them dinner. And, you know, I know what how it affects people when they do see me. I mean, they squeal and yeah. they cry and <laughs> people come to Kinston for like their dying wish. Yeah. And, and that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. To know that I'm missing, you know, 80% of those people is just, I can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. I don't even know how to, <laughs> I, and I can't, I can't change it either. Yeah. You know, I don't know. i I don't think I don't know if other people that are in that position care. Mm. Um, well, I don't know any other restaurant that's really like that. No, this you, is honestly, I'm more tied to to the identity and you know of that place than any other chef in the world. I'm, I think in the world, I'm, no one deals with the guilt that I feel <laughs> related to that in the same way. I promise. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. No, no, no answer to that. I don't know. I'm just like I, I never really considered that because I, I don't. You don't go to Nobu and ca- I don't know care if you're going to see Nobu. I don't, it's not like yeah, you thing. don't care. And for me, it's like people, you know, they the only I feel like the reason they're coming is they think that they're going to see me. Yeah. And well, I mean, then, I don't think people go to Noma and think they're going to see Renee Redzepi. Like I don't think, and I don't think they really care. I don't think they care. No. It's and so how do you reconcile that? You just 
I when I drive past the restaurant at night, I go I, I go around the block so I don't have to look at it. Yeah, I have lots of anxiety about it. I don't. Yeah. I'm not dealing with it in an appropriate way. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, and I'm really trying to long term shift what we do at Chef and the Farmer so that if you come. Whether I'm there or not, you get a very you get a piece of me. Like I think what we do better than a lot of restaurants is tell stories. Yeah. And so I want to um, have our menu be more story driven. Mm-hmm. And like for instance, I, I've already planned a year out of this. Yeah. But, so Thanksgiving, uh, November would be my Argentine Thanksgiving. Right. Because when I was in Argentina, I had this big Thanksgiving party for all my friends that I made there. But I didn't realize that they don't eat turkey in Argentina. (laughs) And, you know, they don't have Stouffer's uh, breadcrumbs to make the dressing. Uh And so I did all this, you know, improvising. And there's a lot of stories around that. I know that in my business, 20, I'm 22 years in. And I know that probably around 10, year 10, there was a moment where... It wasn't that I didn't want to work with clothes anymore or work with clients. It was just that there was uh, mostly I was managing people um, and and it was mentoring people that I worked with. But you had people that would say, oh, I just want to work with you. And I would be like, I literally don't have the capacity to do that anymore. But I think that in order to grow, I had to find a way to do that. You're growing your business as well and opening more restaurants maybe. How are you going to handle that in that way? I mean, is that, I wonder if that'll be different in other cities than it is in Kinston. Well, I think in other cities, I won't feel the same responsibility yeah. because, you know, people, young cooks move to Kinston to work with me Yeah, and not to work in a building that I've once no, no. worked in, but to work alongside yeah. of me. And you don't move to Kinston really for any other reason. And mm. so I feel this responsibility yeah. to give them that. And, you know, more often than not, I just can't. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a restaurant in Wilmington, Mm -hmm. and I don't feel the same responsibility to the staff there. Yeah. You have two big things coming up in the next year. You're opening a new restaurant in a new city, and you have a new show coming out. Can you tell me about both? Yes. I have three big things. One of them I've asked you to help me with. (laughs) Uh, We have our new show coming out in March, and it's called Somewhere South, Mm -hmm. and it's on PBS and it's uh, going to be six hour-long episodes, and every episode is about a dish that every culture shares mm. and kind of my experience with that dish. And um, I learn from friends around the South who oftentimes don't look, at, look like me mm. how their culture treats that dish right. and how the South shapes it and how it shapes, shapes the, the South. South. Yeah. So that is happening. I'm going to, next week I'm going to Niceville or Niceville, Florida for the mullet festival. What? Yeah. <laughs> and that's not hair, that's fish. That's fish. It's, um, we're doing a barbecue episode, but not the way that you think. Cool. We're taking a road trip down Florida. Amazing. And experiencing a lot of the different cultures that exist in Florida through barbecue. And Wow. Have you ever heard of cracker country? No. So, okay, (laughs) crackers are folks who live in and around the marshes Uh uh, in the panhandle of Florida. And cracker is cracking oysters? Uh, No, cracker comes from them cracking whips back in the day because they did a lot of, they had a lot of cattle Ah. and were kind of like um, cowboys. 
And have you ever heard of this book, White Trash Cooking? Yes. So that's cracker cuisine. Got it. So this is the smoked mullet festival. It's a smoked wow. mullet cook-off. I wonder if it's going to be tasty. You know, a lot of times this stuff is not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's going to be really, uh, I think, fun. Oh, yeah. And then I'm opening a restaurant. Well, actually two kind of in Charleston. One is called Lenore for mm-hmm. Lenore County. Yeah. And it's going to be like food of the frugal farmer meets kind of Sunday celebration. Nice. And was that obvious to you? Like, did you know exactly what you wanted to do? You know, I didn't. And then, you know, sometimes a name can shape what mm. you do. Yeah. And names are so hard to, mm. to come up with. And I really like the word Lenore. It's just such a good word. And I think it's like... Oddly, it looks and sounds sophisticated, but it yeah. uh, references one of the least sophisticated <laughs> right. places in North Carolina. And so I decided that I would just build the idea around Lenore County and mm-hmm. our food and culture, but not in a hokey way. They may call it Lenoir there. I know. <laughs> I hope so. They're such Francophiles. <laughs> and then a uh, coffee, American coffee shop called Handy and Hot. Cool. Next door to each other, nearby? Yes. Nice. And you've never done that before? No. Well, we have. We were going to open a bake shop, coffee shop in Kinston Mm -hmm. called Handy and Hot. Uh, But then after the hurricane last year, I just didn't feel as if it was the right move. Yeah. And so we've been doing, we inverted the business model and have been doing online, like, holiday-focused bake sales. Mm -hmm. So this... In Charleston will be the opportunity for us to really do a brick-and-mortar version of Handy and Hot. Yeah, fantastic. And then third? Third. I've been working on a new cookbook. Wow. And it's called... I can't believe you're here. <laughs> I know. I, I wrote, I woke, I've been waking up every morning at 5 so I can write for two hours before my kids get up. Yeah. And um, that's why I flew here is because active time, like driving in the car, I can't do anything else. But yeah. I, so it's called This Will Make It Taste Good. Mm-hmm. And I'm having just the best time writing it because I've learned, like, as you said, you think I'm, you enjoy my writing probably more than the recipes. No, not more, but No, I certainly do. <laughs> but in this book, the recipes are really simple. Uh-huh. So I'm able to do more storytelling within them. Right. That's exciting for me. Everybody that comes on the podcast, we ask them what they wore to the prom, and I cannot wait to hear what you wore to the prom. It's going to be so disappointing. No. Because we didn't have <laughs> oh, a prom. Oh, shoot. V-E-S. Yeah, no. Dang we, it. we had like a casino night or something. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you wear to casino night? Probably too much makeup and something too big. <laughs> I think I wore a black like cocktail dress. That's, Not exciting. I'm no. so sorry. If I could, maybe, um, maybe... I'll get a chance to go to prom again. I would, I, you know, <laughs> that's the one boarding school thing that is really bad is that you, I, I feel like I totally missed out on my hometown prom and the whole situation. It's such a thing. It's such a thing. And I remember looking in envy at mm-hmm. other people doing it and thinking, you know, we, boarding school is so great. Why don't we do this one thing? I know. My, I have a 14 year old, just freshman in high school and she just had her first homecoming and I was really living vicariously. It was really fun. (laughs) Thank you, Vivian. We loved having you. Thank you so much. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. 
The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.